0: Hi, I'm Anika Zitto.
1: And I'm Bella Burkhardt.
0: And you're listening to Spilling the Tea with CCE.
1: We're so glad that you decided to click on our podcast, and we promise you won't be disappointed. Located in Hempstead, New York, Hofstra's Center for Civic Engagement is committed to getting student voices heard right now.
0: And that mission doesn't stop on Long Island. We want this podcast to continue the conversations we've been having on campus. Each episode features our student fellows as they spill the tea on everything from news and politics,
1: to social movements and the issues that affect our day-to-day lives,
0: from health care, to mental health, nothing is off the table. So sit back, relax, and let's start spilling the tea.
2: Hello and welcome back to Spilling the Tea with CCE, the podcast created and led by fellows at Hofstra University's Center for Civic Engagement. For those of you who don't know, CCE is a university institute designed to educate students in democratic values by actively engaging them as knowledgeable citizens through collaborative partnerships with their campus, local, state, national, and global communities. I'm Michaela Erickson, and I am a junior journalism major. And I am Jenna
1: Rita, and I am a senior with majors in English and Global Studies. And today we will be talking about the movie The Trial of the Chicago 7. For anybody who does not know what the movie is about, The Trial of the Chicago 7 is based on a real event that took place during the Vietnam War era, and basically what happened is several student groups, well some of them are student groups, but a lot of them have already graduated college, mostly young people went to protest at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And they were specifically protesting the Vietnam War. And essentially, there was a sort of war between the protesters and the police officers at the time. And there were riots that occurred, all of which were incited by the police. But After the protest ended and everybody sort of returned home, the United States government basically tried to play it off that there'd been like a huge conspiracy to do like super intense rioting against the police and that the whole thing was formulated by the leaders of several of the groups that had come and protested at the event. And they put all of them on trial. There's originally eight of them. It eventually goes down to seven, but they're protesting all these. Young leaders and into what is essentially an extremely unfair trial. Again, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Michaela.
2: No, that was a very comprehensive <laughs> synopsis of the movie. Mostly what we wanted to talk about is just how relevant this movie was even today. Like, this happened back in 1968, but almost all of the issues in the movie just mirror a lot of today's issues very, very similarly. Specifically, like, I know a lot of things that came into my mind related to the Black Lives Matter movement and just how people and like police officers alike have just seen these protests in such a negative light and tried to paint protesters fighting for basic rights and just anything as a very negative thing when that's not what it is at all. Any thoughts
1: from you? on that? Yeah, it was super interesting to see in the movie how racist the court system was at the time. Like one of the protesters who's targeted is Bobby Seale. And Bobby wasn't even part of any of the rioting or major protests. He just gave a speech at one point at one of the many events that happened and then went home. But because they were trying to pin as much as they possibly could and as many young people as they possibly could, the Black Panthers were of course targeted. And it was interesting viewing in the court system how whenever the other Black Panthers attend the trial they can't sit together in the audience because that'll intimidate the jury so mm-hmm. they have to break up and spread themselves throughout the room and they can't wear their hats which were symbolic that they were party members.
2: Wasn't there like a young woman in the jury itself and like somebody within the trial was trying to frame one of the members of the Black Panther Party as like threatening her yeah, to but- like further push evidence against them? It was just terrible This the lengths that they Went to like make sure he could not justify his actions when he didn't do anything in the first place.
1: Yeah, and his name is um Bobby Steele, and he's just treated horribly throughout the whole trial. His lawyer ends up having to have emergency surgery a day or two before the trial, and Bobby isn't able to get a new lawyer in time for the trial to start. And even this trial lasts literally months, but the judge won't let Steele's lawyer come in to play at any point and refuses him the right to counsel. And then even gets worse because at one point, because Seal's obviously very angered by the fact that he's not receiving fair representation and he's very much innocent and it's horrifying that the judge basically has Seal dragged out of court one day because Seal says I'm not going to stop complaining about the fact that I'm not having counsel and um, has him gagged and tied to a chair and brought back into the courtroom. And in the movie, this only happens for about 15 minutes but when I did some outside research, it actually went on for several days. Mm -hmm. Really? Wow. didn't yeah. know that. That makes it even
2: worse. My God. Yeah. There's just a lot of very obscene, under the table things that happen throughout this trial and even just the sheer amount of undercover cops and the lengths that they're depicted in the movies mm-hmm. to deceive. I think it might be Jerry Rubin who was like seduced by the one undercover cop. Um, yeah. That whole storyline with her and just how much she did to really infiltrate, not even their
1: process, just everything she did was wild to me. Yeah. no, uh, the whole situation Is so incredibly frustrating to watch the trial because so many people are so obviously innocent. Mm -hmm. And they even mentioned at one point that two of the people who they brought in, they know are innocent, but they brought them in because the jury will feel less bad about finding the other people guilty if they can let off two of them. So like that was absolutely horrifying as well. Actually, Bobby Seale, because of his treatment in the court, a mistrial ends up being declared for him personally. So that's how it goes from being the Chicago 8 to the Chicago 7, because what was happening was just incredible. Incredibly racist, and eventually the prosecution's like, you can't be doing this, so a mistrial is declared. The other thing we wanted to talk about for a little bit is how the movie sort of relates to today. Discussion about the court system. We're doing this in 2020, right before the election, and Amy Klobuchar Barrett was just put into office, and there's been a lot of discussion about stacking the courts. I think in context of the movie, it like relates to how the judge that handles the trial is incredibly corrupt and does so many awful things, yet he's never even reprimanded for what happened. He continued being a judge up until he retired. So I feel like it relates to the fact that we have people who are judges who get away with very corrupt behavior and People are more than willing to let them.
2: Yeah. And like there were even people who like lots and lots of judges that condemned what he did and said he was unfit, but Mm -hmm. still he was able to have a career for so long. And that's even just true today. I feel like politicians are not willing to hold themselves or anyone else accountable. And that is just very much a pattern. Uh,
1: Like what you said, it talks about how important it is to have a judge who's fair Mm -hmm. because in the film, every single objection that is made on behalf of any of the protesters is automatically thrown out. He can't object to anything. And the judge on multiple occasions throws out testimony that proves that the protesters are innocent, including testimony from the Attorney General, who proved that there was nothing going on and there wasn't this huge conspiracy. But because of how the court system functioned and because this man was in charge, he was just sort of able to do whatever he wanted. And It even said at the end of the film that the lawyer who represented the protesters was actually held in contempt 28 times for his objections. So even the lawyer wasn't granted freedom of speech in the court space.
2: Just the way they like treated any time they tried to like defend themselves as just them being combative or just not complying with the process was just an excuse to just draw it out even further for literally no reason whatsoever.
1: Absolutely. I think another interesting thing to perhaps talk about the film is Mm -hmm. the protesters themselves yeah so the protesters bobby seal is from the black panther party um we also had two who were from students for a democratic society two from the yippies which is the youth international party and then you had the two random guys who were there just as sort of throwaways I mm-hmm. you the know, jury, of course, feel less guilty. Mm-hmm. And as one of the protesters put it, that it's essentially the academy wards of protest is who they all brought forward, the top leaders to try and pin this huge conspiracy on them. Yeah, I feel like it's
2: just a in- ridiculous example of just scapegoating anyone, like any name possible. The stain towards like protesters is just so bizarre to me, especially in this situation. Like there were no quote unquote riots until Tom Hayden Mm -hmm. until he basically said like let the blood flow into this into the streets i don't remember if that was his exact wording so correct me if i'm wrong but even then it was extremely warranted because the vietnam war was just countless deaths for no reason whatsoever
1: yeah and especially when um tom hayden was telling everybody to like basically riot he didn't tell them to riot but what they said he said definitely did incite. A riot. Mm -hmm. But what was happening behind him is that his best friend was being beat up by the police, and the police were trying to pull a teenager down to a flagpole. So the police had infiltrated and started going after the protesters, basically an attempt to cause a riot. Mm -hmm. Because then whenever the protesters attempt to leave the park where they're at, they're completely surrounded. Several of them end up being beaten. The uh, Yippie protesters I found pretty funny um yeah i really (laughs) liked
2: those too. another thing i wanted to touch on was i'm gonna talk about reuben a little bit it's right after the police like had inside of the riot got tom hayden's friend like severely injured and there was like the girl who was lifting up the flag on somebody's shoulders. And like, as soon as all the chaos ensued, the guys that like tried to assault her and then when Ruben tried to go and help her, he was still targeted by the cops and they tried to put him in the wrong for that, which was obscene to me because absolutely. all he was doing was trying to protect a woman from getting hurt or potentially yeah. worse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like all of the protesters, you never like saw them like start a fight with the police. <laughs> it was more so like victim of circumstance actually in a lot of occasions, even though at one point one of the protesters, one of the gippies, I believe, wants to fight the police and everybody else around him is like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Not that it wasn't considered, but it was very much. We're not here to do that, we're here to peacefully protest, exactly, and like you said about protest earlier, how it really relates to today is that none of them were able to receive permits to protest. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the issue, too, is even though they went ahead of time, asked for permission in order to protest at the convention, none of them received permission, which I thought was interesting because, you know, in the United States, you're supposed to have the right to protest, but Mm -hmm. we're not granted it.
2: I also just think the need to have a permit to organize and to protest is just very bizarre to me. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
2: to me, that just defeats the purpose of having the right to protest in general. Because if you have to jump through all these hoops just to, like, fight whatever you're fighting for,
1: No, I know what you mean. I, like, understand the need for a permit in the sense that you need to make sure there's a space cleared Mm for everybody to stand and protest and so the police are notified so that there isn't, like, a huge issue. But at the same time, getting a permit can be unnecessarily hard, um, which then, of course, deters protesters. Yeah. It's not as easy to obtain one as it should be. I think the yippies kind of shot themselves in the foot, though, out of all of them when it came to requesting a permit, because they asked for one not only to protest, but also to play rock and roll and for the right to public (laughs) fornication, which the uh, permit man did not go for. Yeah. So... And like, they were definitely the comedic
2: relief in the movie, which was needed, but if anyone were to like be rightfully, I guess, in trouble for their actions in court, it would be them just because of the sheer lack of professionalism. But still, they didn't need to be there in the first place, so mm-hmm. their behavior was warranted.
1: Yeah. They even come to the court one day dressed up in judges' robes, and when the judge makes them take take them off, they're wearing police uniforms underneath. Yeah. So they were definitely playing with the system. I think. It in part because they knew they were going to lose. Yeah, it was very interesting what happened with them. And I think the most, like, shocking thing was at the end, one of them became a stockbroker. Really? Yeah, at the ending credits, it sort of lists, like, where all of them medical mm-hmm. up later in life. And one of them worked on Wall Street. And I just thought that was so ironic. Yeah. But what he did was actually empower young people with his role <laughs> on Wall Street. So it wasn't as, like, I don't know, a turn to the corporate side, I see. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, interesting. But it was interesting, and that's what he decides to do. I mean, sure. democracy does win in the end technically mm-hmm. because they do get a retrial but they're able to appeal what happens even though they do go to jail for maybe a year ish they are eventually released and acquitted and tom hayden actually was a member of the yeah. senate i believe for the house of representatives for some mm-hmm. years. so they all went on to eventually live their lives thank you so much for listening we hope you join us again to discuss combating most of our world's most pressing
0: challenges thank you
1: that concludes this episode of Spilling the Tea with CCE. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Be sure to connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hofstra CCE, or visit our website at Hofstra.edu/CCe. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, be sure to tweet us with the hashtag CCEt. That's hashtag CCEtEa.
1: The music you've heard this episode
0: was written and composed by Ethan Tauber.
1: Fun fact, it even includes the chord progression C, C, and D.
0: We can't wait for you to join us again on our next episode. Thanks for spilling the tea with CCE.